Hello and welcome to A Murderous Affair. This is our first episode of the new year and I am so excited. It's a new year and it's a new murderess. Also, welcoming in the 20s, we have our first Hollywood-related murder of the year. Now this has happened really recent. As of January 1st, this was trending on Twitter that Molly Fitzgerald, who was an extra in Captain America the First Avenger, was charged with second-degree murder in the death of her mother on December 20th, according to Insider.com and the New York Daily News and The Hollywood Reporter, which isn't the most reliable thing, I know, but multiple media outlets are covering this and there's still not a lot of information known. Police have not released information about a motive, but Molly Fitzgerald played the Stark girl who was kind of like on the main stage and helping with the Stark convention in the Captain America First Avenger movie. Um, and she was also an assistant to the director. Her mother, Patricia Fitzgerald, was found dead in her home in Olaf, Kansas on December 20th. And it was this past week that it was Molly Fitzgerald who was arrested and charged with second degree murder. Um, right now she's in jail on a $500,000 bond and CBS News said that they're not sure if they're if she has an attorney or if she's represented or not. Patricia Fitzgerald's brother told the Kansas City Star that the family doesn't actually know a lot about the circumstances surrounding his sister's death, but overall it came as a complete shock and, quote, it doesn't matter the circumstances, the loss of a sister is what it's all about. So this is something that I kind of want to keep updated on because, one, it's happening right now and welcome to 2020 everyone the world is still full of terrible people to all you new listeners hello my name is gabrielle and this is the podcast where we talk about women in history known for mayhem and murder today in celebrating the new year 2020 we're going to take a trip back in time to the 1920s and talk about the incredible vanishing killer this was a mystery that surrounded cleveland known as the black widow mystery and honestly it's really interesting because it's a case that has almost no coverage and her identity was not actually learned until decades after these murders were committed. In the press, she was just known simply as the Black Widow and there was hardly any information about her or her deceased ex-husbands until this author kind of took this deep dive into what was going on back then and really went in and analyzed newspaper articles and basically did a lot of digging in order to find out who this Black Widow was. So we're gonna talk about an interesting murderess to start off the new year and I hope you guys enjoy it. But first, let's do our resources. There weren't that many resources that weren't repeating themselves over and over again. So one of the resources that I used is an excerpt of a book called The Corpse in the Cellar and Further Tales of Cleveland Woe, which was written by John Stark Bellamy II. It was specifically an article that had an excerpt called The 
Incredible Vanishing Killer, Cleveland's Black Widow of 1922 on Greyco.com. There is also unknownmissandry.blogspot.com, which has a page titled The Cleveland Black Widow Mystery, where they go through the different articles published in Cleveland during that time period talking about this case. So let's go ahead and get started. The story first came to public attention on May 1st, 1922, when a prosecutor known as Edward Stanton, who was pretty well known at that time for being a really aggressive and effective prosecutor in the county announced that there was a 37 year old Cleveland woman who was under the investigation for multiple murders. Now reporters said that this prosecutor Edward Stanton was accusing her of poisoning at least two of her four children and as many as three of her five past husbands in order to collect different insurance policies that they had. Now originally this woman who is unnamed in the articles came to prosecutor Stanton's attention when she sought him out trying to collect her recently deceased husband's insurance. Now, what her story was that her late husband was a World War I veteran who had suffered from poison gas and eventually ended up dying due to medical complications from it, and the terrible, heartless United States government refused to pay off his war risk insurance. Now, at this time, the prosecutor said that he couldn't help her, but he told her to go to the Cleveland offices of the American Red Cross. So that's what this woman did, was she went to the Red Cross, which didn't help her at all because apparently husband number five hadn't been submitting the payments that were due for this war risk insurance, but one of the Red Cross officials who was no, who's named Esther Knowles became suspicious because as she started investigating this woman's life and eventually went to back to the prosecutor Stanton with her suspicions. In multiple newspapers, it's reported that this Black Widow's trail started in Pittsburgh where she had married her first husband and had two daughters. Um, and this was 20 years before in early 1900. Now, the girls had insurance and one day they both died after eating poison tablets in what was an, an unfortunate household accident. After their death, the woman divorced her husband and married husband number two, who was a pharmacist in Pittsburgh. There were two more daughters during this marriage, in 1907 and 1908, but during World War One, the couple divorced. Husband number two survived his experience, but he would later report, as he was called in to testify, that she was obsessed with the details of life insurance policies. This woman then went on to marry husband number three in Pittsburgh, and she and her daughters moved with him to Cleveland, where he had recently moved for a job. Now, this job was a great move for him and his new family, and it even included a free $1,200 insurance policy as an employee benefit, which I don't know what that conversion would be in today's economy, but let's assume that it's much more substantial than it sounds. However, unfortunately for husband number three, he died extremely unexpectedly about a week after it took effect. One day, he fainted at work and was sent home, and after he was sent home, his wife called the doctors in distress saying that he was dead, and this was within 24 hours of him becoming sick. However, this woman was not one to and she, as soon as she received the life insurance policy, she took her family back to Pittsburgh. And this is where she met husband number four. By the year's end, they had been married. And it was shortly after their marriage that he, after being in perfect health his entire life, he began to get extremely sick and ended up dying in May of 1919. Now, it was around this time that this woman had begun attracting attention of law enforcement. And an autopsy was conducted on her most recent late husband, number four. When this autopsy was conducted, it turned out that there was traces of arsenic in his stomach, but 
because husband number four had a physician who had prescribed him medicines containing metallic powder, nothing further was done because because that was how the wife explained it away. So after this investigation was conducted, this late husband had left $5,000 to his widow, and now she moved with her family back to Cleveland. And it was seven months after husband number four died that she met husband number five, who was an ex-soldier just returned from World War One. And this is the husband that actually most is known about. Husband number five was known only in newspapers as Joe. He was a mechanic and his salary was not what his new wife had become accustomed to. In court, a friend of this woman named Jessie Burns said that very soon after their marriage, the new wife was complaining all the time about how unhappy she was. She would say things like, quote, wouldn't it be nice if Joe died? Think of the fun and parties we could have if Joe died. Apparently her threats got more and more direct and the new wife began to say things like, quote, I would like to get rid of him. I would like to give him arsenic. There were also people who sublet on the premises from this couple who would later testify that they would overhear fights between Joe and his new wife. They could hear her screaming, quote, you eat that food. I'm not going to cook for you and have you leave everything. Apparently this was very common and she would insist on being the only one who cooked the food in the household. This Joe also would complain to friends that his new wife was constantly telling him to join different companies and that had insurance benefits. She was also trying to raise his veterans insurance from $5,000 to $10,000 in the weeks before his death. One of the people who was renting a room from the couple left seeing Joe in perfect health and then when he returned he found that this woman was saying that quote Joe ate a hearty meal last night and drank six bottles of Loganberry juice. At about 10 p.m. he went to take a hot Bath. Eating, drinking, and the hot water must have affected his heart, I guess, because when I got up the next morning, I found him dead on the bathroom floor. And then, 48 hours after poor Joe's death, this woman was throwing parties and spending the money on expensive furniture, $1,400 worth of diamonds, and a new car. She also ordered a new piano and apparently found herself a new man as well. The man who delivered the piano was named L.P. Farrell and when she found out that he was he owned some property, she invited him in for drinks and struck up a conversation and she found out that he was a man of property. Apparently this meeting stuck with them and there was a wedding date set for April 24th, 1922. While this woman had been throwing these parties and inviting over all the neighbors, the neighbors had noticed that there was valuable of theirs that were going missing. So this woman was actually arrested for stealing on, so this woman had actually been arrested for larceny the morning of the wedding and it was when her children were turned over to the Red Cross into the fateful hands of Esther Knowles that dots started being connected and she was the one who told Edward Stanton her suspicions. Now on May 5th, Prosecutor Stanton announced that the autopsy of husband number five, that Joe's autopsy had turned up traces of both morphine and arsenic. It was also at this time that authorities from Pittsburgh said that they were had been trying to build a murder case against this woman for the past three years. Authorities were considering digging up husbands number three and four and her two dead children from their graves to take another autopsy. So, okay, so May 5th is when we hear, start hearing the last of what happened in this Black Widow case. And it's because apparently what was thought to be this airtight case was not so airtight after all. So here's what happened. 
Apparently the arsenic found in husband number five was extremely insignificant and a lot less than what the prosecutor had made it appear. So the judge ordered another chemist to take another look. When this poor man was exhumed again, there was no arsenic to be found in his body. On May 10th, 1922, county authorities promised the reporters that there would soon be quote, startling developments in the investigation, but nothing more was heard about this Black Widow case, except this woman issued a statement through her attorney. Quote, I am the unnamed woman in county jail. Much has been said unfavorable to me. I know the public wishes to know the truth. I am here because of false charges. It has been intimated that I may have poisoned my husband. The desire of public officials to gain applause for themselves soon opened the floodgates. If any of my accusers had any evidence that I had poisoned my husband, they kept it to themselves for nearly a year. I did not murder my husband. He died of natural causes. I loved him dearly. I have had many offers to marry since his death, and some of the offers have come from wealthy men. If my business is to marry and kill for the love of gold, is it not a bit strange that I should have allowed a year to pass without any further pursuit of my profession? There is no evidence of my guilt, for I am innocent. The county officials are merely trying to weave a chain of circumstances in my life that might make it possible for me to have poisoned the man I loved. How much easier it would be for them to weave a dozen chains to prove my innocence. My innocence would not please them. Meanwhile, I must suffer. My greatest solace is that there must be someone who will believe me innocent, at least until some real evidence of my guilt has been discovered. It wasn't until decades later that the evidence of the Black Widow was found. Her name was apparently Edith Murray, and her last husband was John Joseph Murray. Edith survived her husband by almost half a century before she died in Pennsylvania in 1969. She was buried with him in the Lakeview Cemetery, and her guilt or innocence in his death remains undetermined. And that is the absolutely crazy and unsolved mystery of who Cleveland's secret black widow was. I don't know about you guys, but I was not convinced by that ending statement, and I would not be surprised if this woman had actually killed all her husbands and then got lucky because the body didn't have any more evidence after being exhumed like three times in the 1920s and they weren't able to find any more arsenic. So I don't know, I would love to know what you guys think. Honestly, it sounds like there were too many coincidences that happened to follow this woman and the fact that she married five husbands who died and got all this insurance money doesn't really prove her case that she is innocent and also her statement is also is all about herself and how terrible this has been for her and how much and how much she must suffer versus talking about her dead husband, other than how much she loved him and how much his loss has affected her. I would love to know what you guys think. Feel free to reach out to me. You can find me at Frumious Reads on Twitter or Instagram or Tumblr or Facebook, or you can check out my website, frumiusreads.com. Feel free to catch up on other episodes and subscribe if you haven't already so that you can stay tuned when I upload more episodes. It's a new year and that means that we're gonna have a lot of new fun murderesses to discuss, but for now, thank you so much for listening and stay spooky, friends. I'll talk to you next week. Goodbye.